Thank you, Noah. Uh, If you have a Bible or an app or anything, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 for us. Um, If you didn't, last week Noah introduced the, the new series that we're going through. We're going through the entire book of Luke. And so because of that, we do have these Luke journals that are available and you can just grab them and use them. This is an amazing resource because there's the scripture on one side and place to take notes on the, on the other side. I encourage you to grab that as we are going to be sitting in Luke for quite a while. And so just a great opportunity for you to kind of take notes and digest the information as we go along. So if you want one of those, they're right at the welcome table. As you enter, you can even sneak out real quick and grab that if you need to and and make your way back. But we'll be in Luke chapter 3 today. Uh, Before we do dive in, I do want to just follow up on something that Noah just mentioned and just thank Grace again um, for her amazing service over the past few months. You know, usually in these kind of situations, where we're in a time of transition trying to figure out what our next step is. Usually in ministry, that's usually a situation where you just try and find a Band-Aid to get you from point A to point B, and Grace has not been that. Uh, Grace, thank you for the way that you have helped lead our services on Sunday, and it's the posture that you bring us to the table into the conversation with God that I think has really set us up to be able to come into the presence of God. And it uh, allows us the opportunity. I'm excited for what this next phase is. And you have helped lay that foundation. So please don't forget how much you are a blessing to us uh, for this time. So thank you, Grace, again, for your service for the months that you've been here and what you've done for us. So uh, like I said, Noah last week, he, he started out our new series on the book of Luke. And he kind of talked about how we as, at Park Community Church were very methodical. We like to keep it simple. We believe that the Bible is the spoken word of God. So we speak from that word. We go through entire books of the Bible and that's exactly what we're doing with Luke. And of course, he said that we do this verse by verse. We don't skip anything. And this morning, I've got to explain to you why we're skipping over a few chapters. So he said that, and then now we're in Luke chapter 3 after only a few verses in the first chapter. And I just want to explain, we're not skipping, we're just pausing on the front section because in a few months, there's a holiday where we kind of celebrate the first couple chapters of Luke. So we're kind of saving those till it comes to Christmas time because then it matches a lot better. So, so no, just don't be afraid, we aren't, we aren't scared of Jesus's birth. We're going to get to it, but we're going to start out in Luke chapter 3 as we kind of continue in our story. And I'm actually really excited to be doing that. Uh, if If you haven't gotten the chance, my name is Thomas Pockovitz. If I haven't gotten the chance to meet you, Uh, I've been here, and I I do love the opportunity to be teaching this morning and sharing the story. Uh, I love the experience um, that we get to join together into diving in God's Word and discerning what it is that it actually is speaking to us now today. So I I hope that this isn't just a theology lesson or some self-help tool. I love that we're going to Luke because we can go face-to-face with Jesus. We can experience Him firsthand, and I hope we come into this conversation with those kind of eyes, trying to experience Jesus for who He was 
and be changed by it. Now, last, last week, Noah did an amazing job of introducing the book of Luke about who Luke was, who he was writing to, uh, kind of the context around the writing of it. And I really encourage you to take a moment, if you haven't listened to it, if you weren't here last week, it is on our Spotify. Just grab that and listen to it. It's a great introduction. But I do want to dive a little bit more into the historical context before we dive into our lesson today, because I think it's uh, immensely important to kind of get an understanding of where we are in the first century in the cultural context of these Jewish individuals that we're going to learn about here, and specifically our main character. So during this time in the first century, um, we are in the midst of the Roman Empire. Julius Caesar is in charge, and he is. this is the first time that we actually see an emperor taking place in Rome, so very different. A lot of cultural landscape, is, uh, political landscape is changing. And for the Israelites, it's been difficult because they have gone through occupying nation to occupying nation to occupying nation and just being dominated by these superpowers that have taken over their land and their area. It started hundreds and hundreds of years ago with the Babylonians. The Babylonians came in, they conquered Jerusalem, they took all of the best uh, Jew, Jewish people and took them out of their land and brought them back to Babylon. And then years later, the Persian Empire comes in in a huge wave and just takes over the entire area. And during that time, some Israelites were allowed to return back to the promised land to rebuild it and to grow. But it wasn't too much longer later that the Greeks came in with Alexander the Great and started conquering the land once again and kind of unifying it under a Greek language. And then here come the Romans, the dominating force just unbelievably tearing through and unifying the known world under a single banner. And through all of this, from all of this transition and these different pieces, the Israelites have been struggling to say, I thought we were God's chosen people. Where is God in the midst of all of this? And through the last 400 years of this experience leading up to where we are now, not only have they, un, unlike the previous Israelites before them, there's been silence from God. For over 400 years, no prophet has risen up in Israel. Before that, there was plenty of prophets that we can see in the Old Testament that spoke on behalf of God to the people. We have people like Elijah and Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, the list goes on, but it's been over 400 years since that last prophet, the last prophet that we know of, his name was Malachi, has spoken in Israel. 400 years of silence, lack of direction and understanding of God through a prophet who was God's messengers to his people. You know, as a, as a father of two daughters, as a husband, as a brother to a sister and a son, I am really familiar with the silent treatment. I'm familiar when somebody gets upset to me and they start not answering me, not responding, not talking to me at all. I understand what that feels like, the silent treatment, as they're upset with me, I did something wrong, I said something wrong. And for the nation of Israel, 
they're left wondering if they're getting the silent treatment from God. Is he mad about something? Is there something that we did wrong? Where is he as we're going through all these difficulties? And then how as followers of God should we live in our current world without God speaking to us? How do we know? And in this moment, after this long silence, 400 years, this nation has been waiting patiently. A man comes. It's one that they have heard about. There was a prophet, and, and Noah read this earlier, years before Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, he, he read this. This is, the, this is the prophecy that they were hoping for. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So since that time, the people of Israel, they've been waiting for somebody to come. This prophet that is foretold of. And for Luke, John the Baptist arrives in our, in our scripture for today. He is the last and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, a transitional figure from forming a bridge between the age of promise and the age of fulfillment. So I really like that we skipped over this first couple chapters because we kind of get to dive into an introduction that John built a bridge between the Old and the New Testaments. And as God was coming down to earth, John was laying out the red carpet for him. And we were, we're going to dive into that. So this morning we're going to read through our entire scripture. We're in John chapter 3. We're going to read the first 22 verses. And then we'll, we'll pray and then we'll kind of um, go through the scripture together. So John chapter 3, read along with me. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Traconicus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of, the God, word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the books of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made, come straight. And the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, 
Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked them, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, so clear his his threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many exhortations, he preached good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to him, and he locked up John in prison." Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him boldly like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that you have made a path for us to come and see you, to be in your presence. God, this morning, may we experience you. May we see you. May everything else fall to the wayside, God. God, as we look at the life of, of John the Baptist, may we realize it's, it's not about him, but it's about so much more. God, may you be speaking to us this morning. May you be moving in our hearts that we may leave changed and renewed. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, uh, it was early in the morning, and part of my morning routine that I'm responsible for is I have to walk our dog Kramer in the morning. So I'm walking Kramer, we're down the street, we're making our way through, and as I'm walking... In the early hours, I see another individual walking down the street as well. Not too uncommon. What seemed a little bit different for this individual is as opposed to a dog, he was walking with a hammer. And he was going up and down the street, waving the hammer around saying, I'm the greatest ever. I'm the greatest ever. Now, most of your eyes are similar to mine as I was thinking, wow, I'm going to go to the other side of the street and just let this guy be the greatest ever as I walked around. Fortunately, at that time, nobody challenged his reign of terror in our street, and I didn't see anything unfortunate take place with the hammer. Now, when that happened, we can look at this individual and say, man, that guy's just crazy, right? But... At the same time, there are so many moments that I look at my life and I say, how many times am I figuratively saying I'm the greatest ever? How many actions do I take, maybe not with a hammer, 
but with my thoughts, with my actions, with my deeds to say that I want attention as well. I may not be walking around waving a hammer, but I can tell you some things that I have done. I know there's been moments where I've had a diploma on the wall that I'm very proud of that I've worked hard towards. I've put stickers on the back of my car to share my interest or my identity or my accomplishments. I make sure in moments that my boss knows how much work I put into a project and how well it has gone and the failure that would have happened if I wasn't around. I share big victories in my life on social media and make sure that people are aware of my accomplishments as, I'm, as they're taking place in real time while at the same time dismissing and not sharing and being public about my hardships and my failures. I track my athletic achievements on my smartwatch and make sure that I'm tracking and posting and sharing with others to know that a private matter like my health can be made public. Now, I'm not trying to put anybody on blast here. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't be or that any of these one actions by themselves are super sinful or anything like that. I'm just making the observation that we live in a culture where the expectation that is in order to get recognition, accolades, and achievements, we have to self-promote and make others aware of us in order to get the affirmation that we so desire. We promote, we boast, and we flaunt to hopefully win that approval of others that we're so desperate for. Our main character in the story today, however, shows a very different path, and I believe it's a better path. Instead of self-promotion, he shows self-sacrifice. Instead of flaunting his accolades, he lived in seclusion. And instead of announcing himself as the greatest, he pointed others to the greatest. And as you know, we are talking about John the Baptist. God doesn't need another celebrity He doesn't need someone to be famous in order to make his name famous. What God truly wants instead of self-promotion is self-obedience. And in the life of John, I want to point out three different characteristics in our scripture today that describe John himself, but it's something that I think every follower of Christ should be exemplifying as well. Three characteristics that we're going to see from the scripture that I think John really portrays for us. And those three things is I I really believe that John was a champion, he was an advocate, but he was also humble. Champion, advocate, and humble. And we're going to be going through those this morning. So the first one was champion. The word champion can mean multiple things, as you guys are well aware. Uh, It can be the conquering champion, you know, the one that we go, we are the champion. Yeah, I'm not going to sing too much, I promise. The one who defeats, the one who wins, the champion. That's one. But then, however, the the word champion can also be used a champion of a cause or a mission. Someone to champion a purpose. And that's where John the Baptist has this, the champion of a purpose and a calling, that he had a singular focus on a mission to champion and make a clear path for Jesus. We see that in the very um, prophecy in that verse 4, prepare the way of the Lord, make his straight paths. John exemplified his life and did everything to fulfill that one verse. Is what I'm doing accomplishing that goal? 
You know, John, his history, he grew up in a, in a family uh, that was very well-known and well-regarded. His father was Zechariah, who was a priest and a Levite. Not only was Zechariah just a priest, but he must have been a fairly well-prominent priest because we know from earlier that we will read later, but we know that during um, Sarah's pregnancy that he was actually selected to go into the Holy of Holies, which is the most sacred part location of all the world. So a pretty prominent position for such a religious leader. And Zechariah was there. And in that time, if you were from the tribe of Levi and your father was a well-regarded priest, most likely, can you guess what profession you would go into? You'd be a priest as well. In fact, you'd be on a fast track, most likely, to be a high-standing official in the, in the faith and in the religion of Israel. And you would think for John the Baptist, who maybe has a message from God, what a great prominent position for him to share his message while at the same time getting all of the accolades and form. John chose a very different path, though. John chose to reject his family heritage, to imagine the conversation that he had with his mom and dad saying, that sounds great, I'm going to go live in a cave instead. You know, it's so difficult to go through that. But he understood that his singular focus was to get the message of God and to be that champion. And for that, he was willing to abandon his family heritage, the comforts of living in the temple, to living out in the desert, eating bugs and not caring about it at all. For John, all that mattered was the mission of God that God called him to. He was preparing the way, not just for his own glory, but for the Messiah to come, for the one who breaks chains to bring the fire of the Holy Spirit and to see new life in people once again. Having this champion mentality can be difficult. It means sacrificing a lot of desires and dreams that John had and maybe that you have as well. It can require you to give up comforts and a lifestyle that you've grown accustomed to. It can mean losing friends and family who don't understand the decisions that you are making because of following the singular focus. But when that champion mentality is on God and his calling for you, none of that matters because God's opinion of you is all that you truly care about. I love this quote from uh, Paul David Tripp where he says, no matter how little I am appreciated by those around me, no, no matter how little I am understood, no matter how little I am loved, no matter how little respect comes my way, I can go to bed in peace knowing that the one person who counts knows me thoroughly, but he will never turn his back on me even in light of his complete knowledge of my sin, weakness, and failures. Church, this morning, know that you are completely known and you are completely loved. Nothing you can do is going to change that. You are accepted. And when you really grasp and understand the implications of that truth, 
of that kind of affirmation and that confidence, you can accomplish anything. So what is the mission that you are being called the champion? What is God calling us to do is our next points that we're going to go through. Let's hear it directly from John the Baptist, and, and we'll keep going, is that God is calling us to be a champion, to champion that message, and that's to be an advocate and also to be humble as we go along in it. As followers of God, we are called to advocate, to advocate for God when needed and to advocate for others in need. John in his life advocated for God. He used his leadership and his platform to point people to something greater. You know, as a prophet, that is what he had access to. He was the voice of God to the people, speaking truth into their lives. He advocated to God, or for God by speaking to them and then using his influence to point people not to himself, but for his own ministry or his own ministry, but to point them to Christ. I love that we see this guy who seems a bit out there, living in the desert, not trying to gather a crowd, and what happens? There's a crowd. Yet, not for his own fame, but he starts pointing them to somebody else, that they should be paying attention to something greater going on. Despite his unbelievable influence, he pointed it and used it for good. Uh, similar to uh, a quote from Peter Scazzaro from Emotionally Healthy Leader, it says, a critical need for every leader is to become aware of their power, i.e. their capability to influence, and stewarding that power well so that they are a gift to those who they serve, enabling them to come more fully alive and flourish. That is the definition of John's leadership. He had influence and he had power, but he didn't use it to promote his own agenda, but he used it to more fully serve the people that were coming to him. And John the P Baptist knew well that his ministry was not the goal. Rather than use his leadership and influence to increase numbers, he made God's name greater. He pointed them to Jesus. I think the best example for this is actually not in the book of Luke. It's actually in the book of John. In John chapter 1, there's this great story where John the disciple shares about an experience of John the Baptist. And this is in John chapter 1 and verse 35 through 39. It says, The next day, John the and this is John the Baptist, was standing with his two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus tur turned and saw them following him and said, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and he stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, the author John mentions later on that one of these two disciples was actually Andrew, but he never actually identifies the second disciple. And John actually does this a number of times in his gospel, and the reason why is because he's usually, it's actually John the disciple himself. So John is sharing a firsthand story of how he was a disciple of John the Baptist. Jesus comes along and they abandon John the Baptist to start following Jesus. Here is the Lamb of God. 
What's John the Baptist's reaction? Do you see anger? Do you see frustration? Is John really okay with these two guys that he's been discipling just to pack up and leave seconds later? Absolutely. He lets this happen. He surrenders it all for God once again. John the Baptist knows that he is not the end goal. Jesus is. He is just the sign pointing people to the real goal. And because of that, Jesus was able to obtain two of those 12 disciples that would help change the entire world. Now, many of us aren't living out in the wilderness. We don't have massive crowds coming to us for baptism and repentance. We don't uh, speak to large crowds at a large time. So what is it that we can do? How do we advocate for God? I think John tells us directly in his message to the people, starting in verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him that has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. Give generously. Do business with integrity and serve instead of extorting others around you. We advocate for God by living our lives within his commandments and with his heart for the people that he cares for. Every time that we show grace to others, we are advocating Christ to the world. Every time that we show integrity in the face of scrutiny, we're advocating Christ. Every time we practice radical hospitality, we are advocating for Christ. Be an advocate for Christ the way that John was. You can do it not by having to be make this radical change by in your life exemplifying Christ in your behaviors and in your actions. That is the advocacy that God would love to see in your life. And that's what John exemplified in his. So John was a champion. John was an advocate. And lastly, John was humble. I love this last section when people started questioning whether he'd be the Christ. In verse 16, it says, I baptize you with water, But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You know, during this time period, I think it's important, again, to share just two quick notes about the people during this time. First of all, People didn't have shoes back then. Everyone either walked around barefoot or they walked around with sandals. And then the second very key note here is that roads weren't made of rock or concrete. Roads were made of dirt. All right, so uh, if we are in a agricultural society where all we have for footwear is sandals, everything's dirt and you don't have modes of transportation, people's feet were rather disgusting 
So much so that it became a normal habit that your feet smelled so bad that when it came to be dinner time, we had to wash your feet beforehand because of the smell, all right? We had to do feet washing as a daily ritual because of how bad people's feet were. Yet John held Jesus in such high esteem that he considered himself unworthy to even untie the filthy sandals off of Jesus' feet. That is how much John regarded his Lord and Savior. No matter the role that God called John to, he's willing to take it in order to serve God. John didn't think that he was worthless or invaluable. He just understood how great Jesus is, and he understood his role. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, in his, in his sermon on this, he says it this way. He says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord or the doormat either than to be counted among the noblest in the tents of wickedness. Anything for Jesus, the lower the better. Anything for Jesus, the humbler the better. Anything for Jesus. I think this attitude is what empowered John to be able to do what he was able to do. John had a proper understanding of himself and a correct perspective of God. Humility, coming underneath and understanding your place in the world around you. C.S. Lewis describes and defines humility as it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. You know, John was so focused on God that he didn't have time to worry about himself or what others thought of him. Why? Well, what, what was it that made John choose to be a champion and to advocate for himself? What was this that, was it just something that was in his personality that made him want to be like this? Was he just naturally humble? No, I think the reason why was because he came face to face and experienced Jesus on a first hand. He got to know Christ. He experienced the one from whom everything else changed, and that made John understand how amazing his role is, as small and as minuscule as it could have been. Once he recognized the Lamb of God, the thoughts, opinions, and perspectives of others just didn't seem to matter anymore. All that mattered was to serve the one who was to come. He understand, understood Jesus. I imagine that he imagined that he could have said the same thing that Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything, he might be preeminent. Jesus met John, and that enabled John to be the champion that he was, to be the advocate that he was, and to be humble through the whole entire process even up to his death, which we'll read about later on. So we see John living this out. What does this mean for us? What does this look like for us? 
the first challenge that I, I really have for you is if you haven't yet, meet and come face to face with Jesus. You know, I, I, I'm sure you have had an experience in your life where you got so excited about something you couldn't help but share it with somebody else. You, whether it's a movie that you saw that it just blew your mind, you got to share it. You, you dragged your best friend to the movie. You, I'll pay for the ticket. You got to come and watch this. That new soundtrack, that new song track that back in the day when you actually had to buy music that you go and say, like, you've got to listen to this song. You got to hear this. It's amazing. Maybe it is that girl or that guy that you met and you're just like, oh, I'm taking you to my family as quickly as possible because they're going to like me more because you're around. You know, there's always something that you probably got excited about that just stirred something in you to bring about change. If you haven't ever felt like that with Jesus, then I'm not sure that you have really experienced the Jesus who is transforming your life. And I invite you to please take this opportunity to not forget who Christ is, to get to know him, to get to learn from him. Again, take, take a Bible, read through it, read through the book of Luke as we're going, come and experience Jesus firsthand, and I promise you will be changed. That is how we start, and I think we can all do that. Is if we have done that, great. If we have lost that love, take this opportunity to say, God, I want to find that again within me. I want to be as excited as I was when I first met you. Let's fall back in love with Christ once again. The other two things I, I really want to be advocating for is to be that champion and to be that advocate. And, and for me, my, my best examples for that are my two daughters. I'm going to show you some quick pictures of them. So Abigail, she's over there on the left, and Kyla, she's over there on the right. Those pictures are intentional. I'm going to share them with you. So Abigail, she's over there on the left. This summer, she made the choice that she wanted to be baptized, and she was baptized in Lake Michigan. That's right. Many of you guys were there. You got to celebrate. What I loved about the experience is she did share her testimony. What was even more experience is what I got to see as a father throughout the week of how she got to share with others. She was so excited to just share with everyone. I remember one experience specifically where we were going to her primary care physician for her annual checkup. You think, okay, and we're going there, we're sitting in the doctors, and all she could talk about with her doctor was, I'm getting baptized in a couple of weeks. It's going to be awesome. Her, her primary care physician was gracious about it, but you could tell it was just like, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk to you about this kind of thing. You know, kind of this weird conversation. And I'm sitting there, and Amanda's there, and I'm, we're looking at each other. It's like, is this embarrassing? Oh my gosh, what's going on? But let's be honest, her primary care physician knows where Abigail stands when it comes to God. I'm sitting here going, does my primary care physician know that? I don't think he does. Who does know? Do people in my circles know? Abigail wasn't anything to be a champion for Christ because all that mattered to her was what God thought of her. Are you being a champion for Christ? I'm not saying that you've got to change your whole life, but are you introducing and being an advocate for him and being championed? Advocacy, Kyla. So this is Kyla. 
This is a birthday party. It's not Kyla's birthday party. <laughs> but look at this girl. All right. We, we in our household, we call Kyla the ultimate hype girl because she does everything. Like if you're running a marathon, you want Kyla to be there because she is going to be cheering you on. This is at her cousin's birthday party, and she is screaming at the top of her lungs because she's so excited for her cousin. We were at basketball practice for Abigail earlier this week. All she, Abigail was doing was warm-up run drills of back and forth, and Kyla was cheering for her on the, from the stands. And that's because Kyla is an ultimate advocate who is cheering on and trying to push the people forward and encouraging people and strengthening them. Or how can we do that in our lives as well? That's my challenge for you. Are you being an advocate for those in your life? Are you introducing them to Christ by being a champion? Are you advocating for them as well? And Kyla does a great job of that. And again, I wish I could say they got this from me, but it's definitely not from me. And I I feel like I can learn from them. And my prayer is that we can all learn from the example of John the Baptist, that he was that champion who spoke when it was difficult to speak who abandoned his own lifestyle to live a life of humility in order to make people known. And when the time came, it didn't go to him for his adulation and for his fame, but he was easily saying, go to Christ, abandon me, because all that matters is him. I'm going to advocate for you to have the best life. And it may not be with me, but I know it is with Christ. May that be true of us. May we share with our friends, with our family, with our neighbors, with our classmates, with our peers, that there is somebody who cares for you, that wants to champion your life, that is advocating for you, and he cares for you and wants to see you changed. May that be true of you today. Let's pray. God, we do thank you so much um, for your son. God, thank you so much for that experience that I got to have many years ago just to say that I know you. I see your love for me. I see your grace for me. I see your forgiveness. Thank you. God, thank you so much that you have been a champion for us. You championed our lives first. You advocated for us to God the Father when you died on the cross for each and every one of us. God, may we in turn, out of joy, out of gratefulness, out of that experience of knowing who you are, may we say, you know what? I am loved. I am cared for. I'm forgiven. Nothing else matters. No opinion. No no comments. Nobody else is in charge of my life except what you have brought. God, may that be true of how I live my life. God, may I live a life knowing that no matter what I do, no matter how many times I fail, I'm going to be just as loved and cared for. And because of that, I am freed to live out a life of mission and calling, championing the call of making your name known here in Hyde Park and in the world. God, may that practically be true when I'm going to my doctor, when I'm going to work in the morning, when I'm caring for my family. 
God, it's so easy to sit here on church on Sunday morning and say, I I can do this. I can be here. It's so hard to practically live it out when we're tired and we're exhausted and we got we got an assignment due this week. We got to get studying done. We have, we have to rush to get my kids to daycare. God, life gets so much in the way that I forget that what the true mission is, which is you. God, help us to remember to keep what's the one thing, the one thing. And that's you and your mission for us to be loved and to care for those and invite people in that same path to know that they have a champion for, for their lives as well. And it's a loving God who cares for them. God, may we just worship and celebrate that you came for us and that we can champion for you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.